0: Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. My name is Travis Wyckoff and I am your host. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business where I partner with the leaders to help them be their very best. My guest this week is head women's basketball coach at Tennessee Tech, Kim Rosamond. Kim is an outstanding leader. I'm super pumped about our conversation. She has overseen the turnaround of Tennessee Tech women's basketball over the last six years. During part one of my conversation with Kim, we talk about her roundabout journey to becoming a head coach. We talk about the values of her program, and then she fleshes out how she implements those values in her program. So as I've said, I'm super excited about this conversation. So without further ado, Kim Rosamond. Okay. Kim, thanks so much for uh, taking time out today to join us. Would love to hear your story. So if you'd walk us through from high school to present day.
1: Well, Travis, thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I, you know, I love your content and uh, have followed you for a while now. So it's an honor uh, to be on with you today. So thanks for thanks for having us. Um, I'll start with my roots, with uh, where I'm from, because uh, I, I think that is so much part of who I am. I grew up in a small rural little town called Louisville, Mississippi. Um, population under 6,000 people but the really kind of fascinating and cool thing about Louisville there's a lot of great things about Louisville but I think probably uh anybody that uh, is familiar with it um we're, we're kind of known a little bit as a cradle of coaches surprisingly uh you know a town of 6,000 you wouldn't think that but um a guy by the name of Andy Kennedy uh, who is former Ole Miss basketball coach and is now doing great things at UAB. Andy is from Louisville. Van Chancellor, uh, who was my college coach, who is in the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame, uh, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Just about every Hall of Fame there is is from Louisville. Um, Mark Hudspeth, who is an outstanding football coach, uh, was a head D1 coach at Louisiana Lafayette, um, also at Austin P, and now he's at Gulf Shores, I, I think they call it Gulf Shores U now, Gulf Shores High School, but I think they call it Gulf Shores U uh, because of all the college coaches that he's brought in. Matthew Mitchell, um, who is the all-time winningest women's basketball coach in Kentucky history. Um, those are just a few of the college coaches uh, that that are from my tiny little town. And, uh, you know, at, we went, uh, both Andy, Mark, and Matthew and I, you know, all four of us, Went to a little bitty uh, private school of about 350 students, uh, and at one time or another, we were all walking the halls of Winston. Now I'm a lot younger than them, Travis. So I, I was in the I was on the elementary side. Those guys they got some age on me. Uh, but at one time or another, we were all at this tiny little private school, which is almost unheard of, right? Um, Andy ended up transferring and, and graduated from a uh, from Lewisville High School, but just a a really special community, and there's been some other D1 coaches that have come through there. They're long no longer, um, you know, coaching now. Uh, Chris Croft, who's a professor at Southern Mississippi, was a D- Division One men's basketball coach. Mm. But um, you know, it was a, it's a community that's built around faith, family, and sports, and it obviously shaped all of us in a very very strong way you know Sundays you go to church and as soon as church is out you go home and you eat with your family and uh and then uh you're in the gym you know you're in the gym or you're on the football field or you're doing something sports related and we we all had um some unbelievable coaches growing up uh one of them for me was bud turner who uh he's he's no longer with us but he was uh, just a really special man he's in the Mississippi uh, Coaches Hall of Fame, um, he was my mom's high school coach, but also coached me in elementary school, and just really a lot of our core values that that um, we have six core values, and so many of of, of what coached, so much of what Coach Turner taught me um, is a reflection in, in our core values today, and uh, so grew up in Louisville and uh, really got introduced to uh, basketball. I was a tomboy growing up, probably would still be classified as a a little bit of a tomboy because of the way I love sports. But um, my mom, when I was six years old, wanted me to get my ears pierced. And the only way that she could do it uh, was to take me to Walmart and promise me that if I'd get my ears pierced, uh, she'd buy me a basketball. And that's where the love of of basketball started. And from that point on, um, she couldn't keep me out of the gym. I played all sports all through high school, track, softball, uh, tennis, also showed horses competitively all across the Southeastern United States Um, and uh, went to basketball camp at Ole Miss when I was in the third grade and got so homesick that after the first day, uh, after the first night, I called my parents to come pick me up. And that was when Coach Chancellor was there and just you know, going to every NCAA tournament there was and uh, uh, a legend also in, in, in women's basketball, uh, Jennifer Gillum, uh, who was an All-American at Ole Miss. She was she had just gotten out of college coaching and so she was my counselor. And they would not let me go home. They would not let my parents uh, come and pick me up. I ended up getting an award at camp. And then my fires were stoked at that point. And I came home and I, and I wrote down in my journal, told my parents that one day I was going to play it Ole Miss. And then, um, you know, worked from that age until I got in high school to try to accomplish that dream. And, um, you know, God placed a lot of people in my life uh, to, to make that possible. One of those being uh, my junior year in high school. Uh, Van Chancellor's son actually got hired on as uh, my my high school girls basketball coach, and had it not been for that, I don't I would not have had the opportunity to go go to Ole Miss. But I did, uh, and and was able to uh, go to Ole Miss and and played there. I played there for five years. Redshirted my first year. Played four years for Coach Chancellor, and then my senior year, Coach Chancellor left. It was right when the WNBA started mm-hmm. and he left and took the job with the Houston Comets, went on to win four world championships within. in my senior year, uh, Ron Aldi, who had been the associate head coach for Carol Ross at Florida, took the job at Ole Miss. And uh, I ended up, I was a fifth year senior, tore my ACL uh, on Octo- October 31st of my, fi- of my fifth year. Uh, and it was either a deal where... You know, you you um, you be you're done playing, uh, and and you sit there with a clipboard, or you try to brace up and play. And so I ended up bracing up and playing my senior year and had said I would never coach, got a journalism and advertising degree. I had a job back then. Instead of Apple, it was uh, Nokia phones back in the early 90s, right? I know I know some of you old heads that are listening probably gave a smile because we all remember those Nokia flip phones. But had a job with Nokia in, in their marketing department, and uh, Coach Aldi offered me a job uh, as the third assistant at Ole Miss, and that was when it was a restricted earnings position. Uh, Would not have probably ever coached had I not torn my ACL. And again, God stepped in at that point and put me on the path that he wanted me to be on. I coached for five years uh, at Ole Miss, then went to um, Middle Tennessee uh, for two years and then actually got out of coaching. For two years, so Travis, I've been running from this coaching thing a little bit all my life, um, but but God has a way of steering you back there where He wants you to be. And uh, got out of coaching for two years, sold athletic team sales, also did pharmaceutical sales for a year, and then uh, ran into Melanie Balkum in an airport and uh, ended up. Long story short, got the uh, got the recruiting coordinator job at Vanderbilt. Had experienced a ton of success with coach Balcom at Vanderbilt and then was fortunate enough to uh, to come to Tennessee Tech and be the head coach here for the last six years so my journey um, into coaching uh, was a little bit different and it's not that straight line that we all think that success is it was rounded and curved and spun around and uh, still you know still on that journey but um, it's it's been a great ride so far
0: love it. Thanks for walking us through that. Why'd you get out after Middle Tennessee State for a couple of years?
1: I had turned thirty, and at that point, you know, like I said, and 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 I really truly mean this. Uh, I had really ran from coaching my whole life. Uh, I was obsessed with sports; it was all I had done. Um, loved it. Everyone had always told me I would be a coach, and uh, my uh, my plan was I was going to wear skirts and high heels and fly around on. Planes and you know, be a millionaire by the time I was thirty in corporate America, and that wasn't the the plans that God had for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd always said that if I was thirty and I didn't want to be a head coach, I was going to go try something new. And I didn't want to be a head coach. I had no desire to be a head coach. When I when I went to middle, uh, I worked for uh, an awesome woman by the name of Stephanie Smith. We won two championships there. She had done a great job of um, putting that you know putting that program. Uh, on the map, we, we won two Sunbelt conference championships had two huge upsets in NCAA tournament uh, our first my first year there we beat North Carolina our second year we beat North Carolina State and then my boss got the job at Alabama. she asked me uh, and our assistant coach Melanie walls who is now my assistant coach here at Tennessee Tech to uh, to go with her and I didn't want to leave I didn't want to leave um, the middle Tennessee area. And I just really wasn't sure if I wanted to continue down that path of coaching. And so I thought it was a great time to try something different um, and really kind of just stepped out on a limb and uh, prayed about it and felt like it was the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, just just kind of wanted a break, uh, just wanted to try something different. And then after two years, enjoyed it. But uh, you want to talk about um, not missing being passionate about what you wake up and yeah. do every day. Uh, there was a void, uh, that I really had in my life those two years. And I think that was, while we all talk about our why, I would love to say that when I got into coaching at 23 years old, um, uh, my why was, uh, the young women I get to coach every day. And and that sounded good at 23. I, I didn't understand that at right. 23. Yeah. Um, after at 30, uh, you know, it was really 32 when I got back in it and being away from it and understanding what those relationships truly mean, being on the bus, being in the locker room, mm-hmm. getting to make a difference in people's lives or having the opportunity every day to make a, a, a difference in people's lives. Uh, Ooh, I couldn't get back fast enough and, and God opened a door.
0: So when you're in the airport and, um, Melanie Balcom comes up to you, was it an instantaneous, like, I, I think I'm supposed to do this.
1: Well, I, that weekend I was actually flying, uh, to, uh, inter- I had gotten offered a job, uh, back home in Mississippi, um, at, at a, at a smaller school. And I was thinking about what, you know, obviously trying to decide whether or not, um, you know, that was going to be the right move to get back into coaching. And, um, and, Coach Bauckham was in the airport. They had just had a great year. And so I came up to her and introduced myself and just congratulated her. I knew she had an opening at Vanderbilt, um, but i would never thought in a million years, you know, after being out two years that I could get hired on at Vanderbilt. And so after that interaction, you know, I only talked to her for probably about two minutes. And uh, about a week later, I knew their director of operations and I just called him and I said, hey, you know, I, y'all probably h- hired somebody by now, um, but I would love if she's interested, I'd love to talk to her. And he just kind of blew it off. And then about a week later, I, I got a call. He said, hey, did you meet Coach Balcom in the airport? I said, I did. He said, well, I told her about you. And she said to give her a call. We ended up talking for two hours that night. She brought me up, interviewed, and the rest is a uh, kind of history, so to speak. Love that.
0: It's really good. Okay, let's dive into just a couple of your um, of your coaches. Obviously, on this podcast, I just want to dive into what makes leaders so good. Like, what is it that they possess that allows them to have success? So, let's start with Van Chancellor. If you had to just summarize what made him successful, how would you articulate that?
1: You know, one of the as far as a basketball coach, I think Coach Chancellor had had has and had a unique ability to, to put players in positions to maximize their strengths. Hmm. And he understood it. And he did that so well on and off the court. Uh, and that was something that I really, really learned from him. Um, I, I had an opportunity. We played in the WNIT in Houston, um, you know, back about four weeks ago. And it was really special. He he came to our practice and spoke to our team. Um, but beyond the X's and O's, obviously, he's in the Naismith Hall of Fame. So a phenomenal coach. But this is what I remember most about Coach Chancellor, and I think the way that he has impacted me the most. Um, yes, he taught me a lot of basketball. But the things that he taught me most, he gave me a life experience that this little kid from rural Mississippi would have never had. He, mm-hmm. You know, when we went, when we went places, it was a life experience. It, it wasn't just about going to play in a tournament. He took us to Hawaii. He took us, you know, he 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 took us to the beach. He 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 took us to a luau. Uh, he took us to Washington, D.C., where we toured for two days and got to see things that I had never seen hmm. in my life. So for with Coach Chancellor, it was really bigger than basketball. And I don't think I appreciated that as an 18- or 19-year-old. Yeah. Uh, as a 40 year old woman now, I, I appreciate that so much more. And it's something that I have really tried to, um, tried to do within our program is, is to help, you know, show these young women, uh, a life experience, not just a basketball experience.
0: It's great. Uh, Melanie Balkum. Exp- yeah. What makes her so special? What, what, or maybe I'll ask it this way. What'd you learn from her when you think back your time with her and then what you're doing now, what are some of the key things that you're like, okay, I've got to do this. If I'm ever a head coach,
1: Melanie Balcom is one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around. Um, You know, she's an offensive genius. Um, Goodness. The basketball that I learned from her, Hmm. you know, I I couldn't even begin to describe it. Um, But one of the, one of the things I always appreciated most about, Coach Balkum, is, is she did things out of the box and she wasn't scared to do things out of the box. In, in fact, she prided herself on being different. You know, our style of play at Vanderbilt was very, very different um, while we were there than anybody else in the league, uh, you know, offensively. Uh, the style of offense that we ran, the way we shared the ball, uh, the amount of shooters that that we had on the floor—we weren't always the most athletic. We were well, we were never the most athletic team uh, in the SEC, but uh, it was a very cerebral, um, very skilled uh, basketball team that shared the basketball and played team basketball as well as anybody you'd want to see. And then she just had really had a way. Uh, of getting her players to just play unbelievably hard. Um, and so she was, she was, she, she prided herself on doing things differently on and off the floor. And yeah. so uh, I really respect that about coach Balcom.
0: So when you say she got us to play really hard, give us a behind the scenes. What's that look like? Was she, um, like a, a driver, a yeller? Like, yeah. Cause, cause I think that's, often talked about with coaches, like, oh, man, we, we just played incredibly hard. How did that play out? How did yep. you get you guys to play so hard?
1: Uh, Melanie Balkum, of, of all the coaches that I've that I've played for, uh, as well as coached with, uh, Coach Balkum was the least yeller of all. Um, Coach Balkum didn't yell much at all in practice. Uh, but there was just a standard uh, every day that you had to meet in practice. And if you didn't meet it, then we were gonna continue doing it mm. until you did it right. Even if it meant we were on the same drill, <laughs> you know, for for two hours in practice until you, you met the standard, we weren't moving on to the next thing. And so, you know, it was just a, um, the standard was the standard and it never changed. And by the time that I had gotten there, obviously um, there had been a ton of success. Um, by the time I had had gotten there, so you know it was it was a cultural sustainability that had just been passed down. And by the time I was there, it was it was, uh, was player led, and and that's what I think Coach did such a great job of. Um, you know, I, I kind of always thought that you know the the more coaches talk in practice, the better your coaching. And Coach Balcom taught me that the less she said in practice. Yeah. The better, the better she was coaching, uh, because that meant it was be it was being player led, and she really created an environment um, where she empowered her players um, to do that each and every day.
0: Yeah. Okay. I usually don't go this order, but I'm going to skip ahead since you start. You start. You mentioned culture, and you start. You talked about environment, so I'd love to dive in. You take over at Tennessee Tech. Um, what? Five years. Ago. You, you've Six been years there five ago. years. Yep.
1: yep. Six. Yeah. We just finished our sixth season.
0: Yes. Sorry. Yeah. How? Give us insight into how you take over a program. Give us insight into how you start building culture to get to the culture like you want. How you built that environment. What did you do? What did you stress? Yeah. I'll just kind of leave it open ended. I would love to hear you riff on taking over Tennessee Tech and building culture.
1: Well, I I, I really appreciate that question uh, because you know, I, I, at least in my experience, and so far I've only had one, uh, you know, in building and, in helping build a program. Um, but some of the decisions that we made early on, I I think are a reflection of where we are today. I, I, you know, I I was fortunate enough to get the head coaching job. I got it because, you know, we we had recruited well at Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt and that was, that was my niche. That was what I was known for. I don't know that, that, you know, anyone here, probably including myself at the time, you know, I I knew whether I could, you know, be a head coach or not, because that had not been my, you know, I was, I was on the road recruiting a lot and it was why I got the job. So it was my strength. So when I got here, um, you know, we we got hired March 31st. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so my intention was, okay, we'll go sign, we'll go sign some players. Uh, we had, believe we had, I think we only had 12, 12 on the roster at that time. We returned, we did return five seniors, but the last two years, they had they just had not been a lot of success. And, uh, and so obviously we were brought in to, to, to reshape that a little bit. Um, so instead of normally, you know, uh, you go right to the court and you start, you start with individual workouts. Well, we made a decision early on that before we hit the court, I wanted to know about these kids. I wanted to know their story. I wanted to know, you know, what they liked about Tennessee Tech. What could be better? How could we improve it? Um, and so I spent a solid week doing nothing but one-on-one individual meetings. And Travis, my intent going into that, those meetings were, you know, we're going to bring players in when I walked out of those meetings, I was like, there's no way we're signing players. We're, we, we are going, we are going to first work on fixing the inside Mm. before we go outside. It was a big risk. Um, fortunately it paid off. Okay. (laughs) Um, but, but it was a big risk that we took, um, because we, you know, we, we, as far as, we weren't re- returning any all-conference players. You know, uh, we weren't returning as far as stat-wise. Uh, we had just lost. The best player on the team had just graduated, um, and there had been a couple others that maybe had transferred, I believe, as well. Um, but I think that, that was the key to where we are now because that first year we just worked on um, winning the hearts of those kids in that locker room,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: getting buy-in, laying the foundation. And I truly, and I'm not saying this is the way everybody should go, obviously. Right. But, but I knew when I walked out of those meetings, we needed to really work on the locker room first and, uh, and, and start laying that culture. And I felt like if we started bringing, you know, what in maybe some of their minds was our own kids in here, there, there might be a divide. Um, and so we, we just focused on trying to get buy-in, trying to get believe in, uh, and we were picked that first year going into preseason, 12 teams were in the league. We were picked 11th. We ended up finishing six, tying for six that year. And really, you know, we only won 10 games that year. Uh, seven of them were in conference. You know, we, we got to January and I'm thinking, goodness, you know, how, how many conference games are we going to win? But then when we got to January, the culture piece mm-hmm. that we're talking about really started to take shape we had poured into the uh, those young women not just not just those basketball players those young women and I believe they started to believe in us we believed in them and uh and I, I think we we exceeded while, while we only won 10 games it felt like 20 that year and we qualified you know at that time which you still have to qualify for the OVC tournament they only take uh, eight teams and we qualified for the OBC tournament and it felt like we had qualified for the NCAA tournament, to be perfectly honest with you. And so mm-hmm. uh, so I really that the culture, um, our core values, which, you know, I could I could go on and on, uh, uh, you know, uh, about that. And I'll be glad to share more about that. But it really started to take shape in that first year. And I really do reflect back on those decisions that we made early, um, really, really um, worked out for us, fortunately.
0: And did you make the decision to not, for lack of a better term, clean house and bring in your home? Right. Did you make the decision based on you actually liked what you heard from from some of these ladies, and you're like, there's some diamond in here, or did you make the decision based on there's there's a there's a lot of things I'm not hearing. I think I can clean it up. I think I I think I've got to focus there. Yeah, why did you make that decision?
1: Probably a little bit of both, you know, uh, you know, yes, we did have some, some diamonds in there uh, in the rough, so to speak, Um, you know, but, but also, you know, I just, I really believed um, that if we started trying to bring other players in um, started trying, there was just a little, there was such a disconnect within the locker room at that point. I, I just felt like the divide was going to be even greater. Um, And and so I was looking, what what we wanted to do, we wanted to build, build a program, not just a team. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, th- and we also didn't have the transfer portal at that time, right? It, it, it you know, six years ago, <laughs> it was a different world. Yeah. You know, we're only talking about six years ago, but it was a different world in college basketball at the time. And so, you didn't have the transfer portal where kids were immediately eligible. Now, um, if I'm sitting here today, uh, you know, and 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 I'm I'm in that same situation, do I make a different decision? Possibly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it was the right decision at that time. Uh, yeah. and I felt like it gave us the best chance to build the program the right way. And I wanted to build a sustainable culture, not just a team, but a program.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I want to talk about your core values, but before you, you flesh those out, I would love to know, have your core values changed? So your first year, the six you brought in have been the sixth. Okay. What are your core values? Yeah.
1: Yep, they are they have not changed and um you know I, and and Travis I'll say this you know I think probably the two most overused words in uh college sports right are family and and culture. Yeah. You know th- those are going to be the two buzzwords when you're listening to a press conference that you you hear and then you get our rolls. Um but I, our culture we don't just talk about it. We we really do, truly try to live it every day. Um, I am a huge I'm a huge sports fan, but I'm also a huge football fan. And I had the good fortune of of going and spending a day with PJ Fleck, who is the head coach uh, at Minnesota um, of the Minnesota Gophers football team. And he's a huge culture guy, and I learned so much. From him, I guess it was probably about five, about five years ago. Um, but about his culture and how he built it, and so I'll start. I'll start with what we actually have a word. It's not just culture, uh, but we call it the soar culture. And so the soar stands for the S is for serve others. So we truly try to teach our players how to be servant leaders. And I think sometimes when you, you start talking about serving others, you know, you you, you forget that you start with serving with the people that you're surrounded with every day. You know, how are you serving those people? And it starts with me. I'm not here to enable our players. I'm not here to do everything for them. But I am here to empower them. And I am here to serve them. And I am here to fight for them. And I am here to have their back. uh, And I am here to try to help them be the best versions of themselves. So, you know, the serving others starts with how we serve each other each and every single day, right here in our locker room, Good. the O stands for own it. You know, I'm gonna. I I, I like to be a, a new school coach, but I do have a old school values in the sense of we don't whine, we don't complain, we don't make excuses. Um, you're, you're everything that happens in life is not your fault, but we are responsible for everything that happens in life, and mm. so just teaching our players how to take ownership. You know, I, I, that was something that I took from, from coach Balcom at Vanderbilt every, you know, each and every day. The A is for acquire knowledge. Um, you know, the, the most powerful tool that we have is our mind, not our muscles, but our mind. And so we don't, we, we're not here to teach our players what to think. We just want to teach them to think, you know, not, not to pick up their phone every day and, and think what, about, you know, be taught what to think off social media, but yeah. to actually use their brain to research, to acquire knowledge, and then, you know, to, to apply that to their lives. Um, and so, acquiring knowledge is huge in our. And I don't just mean basketball knowledge. I'm talking. I'm. I really, actually, yes, that's part of it. But, but I'm talking about life skills. And mm-hmm. then the last is respond positive. Um, you know, we we in in every situation, you can't control the outcome, but what you can control is how you respond. And so, um, you know, we we believe that if you know if we can help our players be the best people they can be, then the player part is going to be a whole lot easier. Um, our six core values are, are positive attitude, uh, respect, relentless effort, accountability, compete in all you do, and then and then team first. Um, we are not a rules based program. We are a standards based program. The only rule in our program is leave it better than you found it, and that's people, places. You know, if you can do that, then then what an amazing impact you're going to have in life if you can leave things better, better than you found it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Walk us through. Give us some insight. Um, your team, um, your 2022, 2023 team will come on campus roughly sometime in August. I know you guys are always working out and stuff, but you, you start school. And um, what does it look like throughout the year? What are some things you do? that that build culture? Do you do uh, a retreat? Do you like what's it look like to build culture in your program?
1: Well, I love this question. So thank you for asking it because uh, our players will arrive back on campus. They'll get a month break in May and then they'll arrive back on campus in June. And the first thing that we will start doing in June is our upperclassmen weekly will teach our newcomers our culture. I love that. So so each week we will, will, so we'll take the first, you know, we'll take the first two weeks and we'll divide it up and an upperclassman will take a core value. And so they will present uh, to the underclassmen the core value and they they will teach them what what that means with it. What does positive attitude mean Hmm. within our program? Attitude of gratitude. You know, um, gratitude is a skill. You know that you can you can learn. It's it's not just a feeling. If it's a feeling, right? Then, then whether you wake up that day and feel gratitude or not, but it, it, gratitude is actually a focus. You know, it's a fo- being intentional. Um, you know, uh, about being grateful every single day. And so, so our upperclassmen will you know they'll teach our six core values. We'll do that the first two weeks, and then the last week we will take the sore piece and we will teach what that what that looks like, but but as coaches, we don't teach it. We, we empower and give ownership to our players to teach it. So not only are you teaching culture, but you're, you're also teaching leadership. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we will continue June and July and every day within our practice in some shape or form. Um, you know, we, we are, we are implementing and teaching our culture. Um, you know, on the back of our Shirts under our practice jersey uh, each day is our core, one of our core values. And every day, that's how we break down our huddle. So if that day is accountability on the back of our shirts, you know, that's how we break down the huddle. So that day is the focus, you know, uh, um, showing examples of accountability in yeah. practice. Or maybe sometimes, you know, how we're not being (laughs) accountable in practice that day. But, you know, I I think this is this is the key with culture, whatever your core values are, whatever you believe, you got to live it every day and and you got to fight for culture every single day. And the minute that you think your culture is strong and you relax, right, it's just like a good relationship. Uh, The minute that that you relax and you think, oh, we got this thing figured out is the minute you start getting cracks in it. So it's something that you you have to fight for every single day. And so huh. that that's how we'll that's how we'll start out how we'll start out teaching. And then then some of the ways that we enforce it reinforce it throughout the season. Uh, you know, we meet. Uh, we try not to meet too long. I have I have learned that uh, their attention span is not near as long as ours. Yeah. And so you know before practice. We try to keep our meetings short, but if there is an opportunity to reward someone, um, whether it be for an outstanding performance um, or something outstanding they've done in the community, how they've served one of their teammates, or maybe it was something they did in the game the night before, we give out what we call sore cards. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it, it they're called sore cards, but we have six of them. And so we give out, you know, it might be where you you had relentless effort in the game last night or you showed so much respect by the way uh, that you treated your teammate or by the way that you helped the managers uh, get things off the bus to go into the hotel room. You really stood out to your coaches and your teammates. So we give, we try to recognize those things throughout the year by giving and recognizing with sore cards. We also do a thing called Womanhood Wednesday, not every Wednesday, but uh, we try to incorporate Womanhood Wednesday, um, you know, where we're where, where we're talking about leadership or we're talking about, um, you know, maybe things that events that are going on in the world today and um, you know, how they relate to each and every one of our stories. So at the end of the day, Travis, you know, culture is about connection. Yeah. And and these are just all ways that we can continue to build connection with each other.